new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA. It's time for Reffing It Up with legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in. This. This. Is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to another episode of Reffing It Up with Brian Hemner. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is and forever will be the man in the stripes. The show couldn't go on without him, Mr. Brian Hemner. Brian, what's up, man? Not a whole lot, man. I'm ready to do this episode. I can tell you, this is one of the ones that I'm really, really excited about. And not that I'm not about all of them, but right. this is just a little different for me because of the fact that uh, I have so many questions and stuff about from a writer that I've never been able to sit down and talk to a writer I've, i mean i've talked to vince russo in person all that but never about what his job is and how mm-hmm. things i want to know so i'm really just really getting excited about it and i'm ready to do this man i really really am it's gonna be fun yeah it's gonna be interesting to hear his take on a lot of things because he's one of the most controversial if not the most controversial people men in the wrestling business of all time in my opinion uh and it'll be interesting to see his side of a lot of these things that are out there about him it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be really, really fun. This is going to be a great listen. I think you should tune in every single week, but if you don't t- tune in to this one, you're 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 going to miss the boat. This is the one to tune into. Uh, but I've had, like I said before, we I have had probably about three or four people message me online say, "Hey, I cannot wait for this episode." So it, it, it's got buzz. It's got some buzz. But let's get the show started. Send it up to our first count, ladies and gentlemen. This is your first count. So we saw a few uh, returns last week on, excuse me, Dynamite, Brian. The House of Black returned. Uh, this is the uh, Malachi Black, Brody King, and I believe he's uh, but the uh, Buddy Murphy, Buddy Matthews. He's, he's going by now. Um, it's a stable that three of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, I think. Uh, I don't think that you have any experience with any of these guys, right, Brian? Because I don't think you've – they've been in different places when you were working in the companies, right? Yeah, no, I, I have not. I have not. Because I, I really implore a lot of people to go out, and especially with uh, Malachi Black, a.k.a. Aleister Black from NXT, a.k.a. Tommy N from overseas. Go out and look at the his, his work over there. Brody King was part of uh, Ring of Honor, and Buddy Matthews was uh, in WWE as part of the Cruiserweight. Um, they're just on hiatus. Do you think it's just we've talked numerous times, Brian, that the whole AEW roster is inflated, for better use of terms? Um, do you think this the returns of these people are just try just creating buzz? Uh. I just don't know what they're doing with this guy mm-hmm. and then they bring him back. I was pretty cool with it. And then I lost complete, like just complete, like my whole me figuring out this thing. Cause it became to me stupid. Yeah. Cause it came back. That, and... No, that's okay. I, I, I liked it at first. And I was like, yeah, this is cool because I think he should be on TV. I don't know why they're not using it. And then it just became a monotonous, spot that was just just lost all my attention yeah no i get that too 
Um, we'll go in a little depth in a little while, but uh, something else that you know lost my interest quite a bit was more so with the WWE. I think every company does this. I just really want a lot of companies to get away from it. You know, they're showing all these backstage fights, all these backstage rumbles during the matches, and they take away for the match in the ring. It's like, what the hell? What the hell are we doing here? Uh, and it's just like, you want to keep your eyes on the prize. Am I wrong? Well, I don't know what you said. You kept skipping. I, I did not hear anything you just said. Oh, no. So basically, every company's doing it, but WWE has this tendency to do it as well. They'll have a backstage fight or backstage rumble or whatever between competitors and, during a match, and it'll take a, they'll go to it during the match. They'll do like a split screen. It's like, why are we doing that? It doesn't yeah, make I, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, and, and I noticed that too. I'm glad you brought that up. I just... I don't know what it is that they're, they're trying to accomplish because, you know, you advertise a match and you've got that match and you've got your fan locked in watching what you think they want to watch. And then you take them totally out of that environment and then put them back to something else. So are they trying to take their, their total attention away from that match and go to that backstage part and then, and then bring them back to the match? Like, why would I give two shits now? You just took me away from the match and you're trying to show me something that you feel is more important than the match that you're advertising. So it's just ass backwards. Yeah, it's totally opposite. It's just like hopefully it's something that they can fix. But um, another thing I noticed too, Brian, it believe was at Survivor Series this past Saturday was Dakota Kai went to go kick another person. Um, can't remember the person. I'm off the top of my head. I didn't even write it down, but she totally missed it. Absolutely missed it. It was obvious. And then WWE goes back and replays it, and it. It's like, why are you going to go back and replay something that was legitimately missed? It's like showing called, that it's just an error. Because it's called a huge producer bl a blumber. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just, uh, that's production. You, you you blame that on production and whoever's calling the truck. If it was Kevin Dunn, Kevin Dunn, you fucked up, bro. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's that, that, that cannot be shot. You cannot shoot that again unless you have another angle that protects that miss. You can't show that. And, and, and if, especially if it wasn't the finish or a significant part of that match, which I'm assuming it would be if they were replaying it, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, then then just go around it. Or, or, or I don't know, you can't just shoot that. You can't shoot that. You're killing the match. You're killing what they do in the ring. And that shit happens, and it's okay. But, mm -hmm. but you can't replay it and show it again how bad it was. We already saw it the first time. You know, something ha that has been killing it, Brian has been Ref and Review. This is Ref and Review. All right, Brian. So we got a couple topics this week we got here on the run sheet for Ref and Review. So I will uh, start you off with this. We saw the war games at Survivor Series this past weekend. In your opinion, how the hell do you referee this type of match? And if you have, because you never refereed a war games, correct? I have. Uh, this is when I did my match with my dad for hair versus hair. They had a war game style match in, in, in Richmond. In TNA? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It was uh, the Hermie Sadler run shows. And there's nothing oh. you can do. There's nothing you yeah. can do. Nothing. You get out of the fucking way, give the cues, and that's 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 the way that goes. There's not much you can do in there. There's, it's, it's almost like a no DQ with just a bunch of people in there in a cage or two rings, and you just get out the way. You just kind of got to wait for your your spot as far as your finish or whatever it may be and get out of the way it's just there, there's no creativity for a referee there at all 
you could almost put them on a on a platform at the top and just let them lower them down for the finish. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because we, we saw a spot. I call it a spot because it is. Um, Nikki Cross was on top of the corner of the cage and basically just sat there and was looking like she was actually going to jump off the cage. I want to implore. I want to give a, a you know gratitude and give the props to WWE for doing it this way is they had the the uh, competitors working in that corner the whole time. So they weren't just fucking sitting there like AEW does half the time waiting for them to fall. I, well, thought, yeah. I thought I thought that was good. Yeah, because like you said, you know, when you're just sitting there, the people are doing nothing. It's just oh, so orchestrated. And you're just like, okay, jump already. <clears throat> Go ahead and land on them. I mean, you know, yes, that's that's the idea. You want to have a lot of activity. You want to have a lot of things going on to where it's just out of the blue. You know what I mean? Just out of the blue. And another thing about this thing I want to touch on, and I'm seeing it week again after week after week. I don't understand why referees can't understand that their job is to be in the four corners of the ring and not outside the ropes into the floor. What do you care about them being in the floor? Count to 10 or mm-hmm. 20 as AEW does, which that's another subject, but you, that's not your job. Don't jump out of the ring and start breaking people. Then when they have a hold or whatever it may be, it's not your business. You get paid to be in the ring, not on the mm-hmm. floor, even though most of what they do is on the floor, but, you need to keep your ass in the ring. I don't understand why this is being employed every single week. It, it just it, it's just mind boggling to me. I'm just dying for someone to hear this and explain to me, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be on Instagram, whether it be a text, whether it be email, tell me what the fucking rule is. So mm-hmm. referees are supposed to monitor outside the ring too? Yeah. I just don't get it. And then you follow a tag team match where there's two illegal guys that go outside the ring and you go out there with them so they can do shit inside the ring. Come on, be more creative. Come on. Well, that's the problem, Brian. And you and I have been going back and forth with this for the better part of the show. And even offline is you have tag team matches like that. And then you have these freaking six man tag matches. Like we got the best of seven series between the elite and death triangle. No knock against them. They're great competitors, but do we really need, Best of seven series, six man. It's like, it's more of a freaking clusterfuck than it is anything. Uh, No, we do not need it. Nope, we do not need it. Now, I want to say this to start this off. First of all, the referee, you don't even, that, 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 that doesn't matter. The referee does not matter in that type of match. And I'm okay with one of these type matches on a show. I think it deserves something like that. But this is not what they're doing. This is every match. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in, and then you throw in the elite with the death triangle, and that that's just going to be a circus. People everywhere. Uh, it, it set, the best of seven is just way too many. I'm already done. I, you know, give me a best of three. That that's that's enough. Best of seven. That's going to carry you like what, almost a month and a half. Yeah, it's going to the next big pay per view, and it's, yeah, just, kinda, it's just way too damn much. It's way too damn much. Give me one, two matches tops. You know, they they're great competitors, but it's like enough is enough at this point. But. And you can get rid of the referee in these. Just get rid of them. It's just, they just look dumb and dumber every time they do these matches. It's just ridiculous. And they don't care. They're not protecting the referee. And neither is the company. So just get rid of them. Yeah. But something, somebody that we're not going to get rid of, we're going to welcome in. I mentioned that to you, Brian. 
one of the most controversial, if not the most controversial guy in professional wrestling. And we're going to send it up to our second count and welcome in Mr. Vince Russo. Hey folks, it's that time of the year. You're cleaning up your yard with all the leaves and twigs, getting ready for winter, making sure all your gutters are clean. So while you're doing that, get your earbuds in your ears and check out our boys, Adam, Brad, James, Mike, and Devin over at the Kickout Crew Podcast. A great podcast with a mixture of wrestling, humor, and improv all into one. And guys, the best part about it is they're all friends. So you know it's going to be a great, great time. Make sure you follow them on all of the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Kickout Crew. Making sure you subscribe on all your podcasting platforms making your subscribe to their YouTube page as well because, you know, you're going to want to see all these guys right on your TV. Head over, follow them, and make sure you interact with them each and every week because when life gets you down, kick out at two. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your second count. Count, count. I think this is going to be one of our uh, most popular guests that we've had on the show uh, as of late. The one, the only, Mr. Vince Russo. Vince, welcome to the show, man. Oh, Jay, I don't know about popular, bro. There's a lot of people that uh, hate me out there. Let's let, 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 let's let's be honest, bro. I don't I don't know how popular I am these days, nor do I really care uh, because, listen, I, I think my friend Brian there will tell you in the wrestling business, bro, being truthful is not a popular thing. And, you know, bro, listen, I'm from New York uh, on from New York, bro. We speak the truth. And a lot of times that causes problems for us. But, you know, being a New Yorker, bro, we won't have it any other way. You, you're going to get the truth, whether you like it, don't like it, agree or disagree. So, uh, you know, there there are a lot of people out there that don't like me. Well, there's one person that does like you, and that's me. I don't give a shit what people think about you, Vince. <laughs> well, Brian, I love you, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on here, bro. As soon as I saw you... Uh, you know, on, uh, on Twitter, I'm like, yeah, bro, let's do this. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I, it, it was just spontaneous, which is always better. I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So the reasoning behind this, we'll put a little context to this. Uh, so everybody knows what we're talking about is a post um, that our good buddy, Jordan McCuskey pointed out to, uh, to Brian, I believe. Um, it was a quote that you had with the wrestling observer, excuse me, wrestling outlaw podcast. It said, uh, quote, in regards to the Montreal screw job, he said, quote, so out of pure frustration, I swear to God, out of pure frustration, I said, you know what, bro, screw it. Have Sean put him in the sharpshooter and have, and have the referee call the bell because I want to go home. I just want to go home. 100 100%. 100%. Yes. So we went over that when we had uh, Erron, Brian's dad, uh, was that probably what, two weeks ago, Brian? Yeah, yeah two weeks. Yeah. And we, we didn't get too far into the weeds on that, but um, we just wanted to get um, I, geez, your opinion on that, where this quote obviously came from. The what quote? 
the one that you had here about uh, uh, just put him, just put has Sean put him in the sharpshooter and just want to go home. Um, because Brian's in, er, impre- er, opinion on it was it was a work shoot. No, not at all. Not at all. And, and uh, Brian, I, I'm, I'm going to put it to rest for you now. And, and bro, come on, my right hand to God, you, you are a brother. We work together never in my life, especially at this point in my life and your life, would I work you? And right. here, here's where I could tell you positively, absolutely not. Uh, and, and, you know, RJ, I have told this, I have told this story before, but you know, bro, the funny thing about the wrestling business and the dirt sheets are the most important things they never pick up on and they never talk about it's, it's, it's always the ridiculous shit. Okay. So bro, I am talking about now the creative meeting right before the survivor series. Okay. Which took place at Vince McMahon's house. There were three people there. It was me, Vince, and Jim Cornette. That was the creative team at that time. Just the three of us, okay? So, Brian, I get to Vince's house for the creative meeting, right? He takes me outside of the room, okay? He wanted to speak to me privately, not in front of Jim. Vince McMahon said to me, he said, Vince... I am going to have a conversation with Brett later today. I need you to be the third party on the phone so I have a witness. So in other words, Vince wanted me to be in on the phone call, but he did not want Brett to know it. So I literally had to be on the phone call and be absolutely silent. Wow. So Brett called and Brett and Vince are having a conversation. Bro, Vince McMahon is throwing every possible scenario past Bret Hart. Everything you can imagine. Drop, Drop the belt before the Survivor Series. Every idea imaginable. And Brett, every single one of them is saying, nope, nope. Nope, doesn't work. Nope, 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 nope. I'm on the phone. I am witness to this, okay? So, bro, then we go back. We hang up the phone. We go back to the meeting. Bro, at this point, it's probably about 8 o'clock at night. We've been there since 8 o'clock in the morning. I have kids at home. I have a wife at home. I was so frustrated at that point that that's where I made that comment. I just wanted to go home. And I literally said, F it, Vince, have Sean put Brett in the sharpshooter and have the referee call for the belt. I swear, I just wanted to go home. Now, Brian, the fact of the matter is this is probably on a Thursday. Bro, I would talk with Vince every day, multiple times during the day because I was writing the television, okay? Brian, from, from the time I told Vince that, up until it happened, I had not heard one, one sound from Vince. He did not call me. He did not have a conversation with me. So when I get to the Survivor Series 
and I am sitting next to Taker watching the match, I have no idea what the finish is because we didn't talk. He, he, he didn't tell me what he decided he was going to do. I had no idea what the finish was. So I'm sitting there next to Taker. Everybody else is, is glued to the monitor because they knew the issue. And then all of a sudden, I am watching it unfold the exact same way that I pitched it to Vince. Now, bro, I do. Now, I have heard Triple H pitch the story. Guys, I don't know what happened between Thursday and Sunday. I don't know. I, I wasn't a part of any of the conversations, any other meetings. The last thing I pitched was in that creative meeting. Like I said, bro, it was probably Wednesday or Thursday night. I don't know the exact date. And then I sat there and I watched the finish like everybody else. I mean, Brian, my my right hand to God, the fact that I was on the phone with Vince and Brett and I heard that conversation firsthand this was not a work in any way, shape, or form. So how how do you explain that the and all this makes sense, but how do you explain this folding out? In other words, how, how did this go from no conversation to Thursday into Sunday pay-per-view? And then the Sunday pay-per-view carries out, and then all of a sudden, in front of your eyes, which you know nothing about, how does this get together? Sean has to know something about this. I, I, bro, I, I, Brian, I don't know, but I would 100% assume Sean was definitely in on it. I, I mean, they, I, I don't know that as a fact, but I would say 100% Sean had to be in on it and Sean had to know. And see, that's my shoot work promo. Like, that's that's where I'm going back. You know what I mean? Like, this was a this was a, a a work to a degree, but it was also a shoot because we needed to get the belt off of Brett. Well, when when I, when I say, bro, I'm almost certain Sean knew. I'm I'm positive Brett didn't know. Oh, I agree. I agree. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Sean, Sean, bro. When when you go back and you watch the Sean selling everything, come on, bro. Sean, Sean, Sean definitely had to be in on it. But at the end of the day, Brian, honestly. I don't know who knew that was going down the way it did. I have no idea. Like I said, bro, at that point, I have no idea what they're going to do. So I don't, I don't know who knew. Have you ever heard the story of how my dad was informed? No. Uh. -uh. So now my dad's not going to lie to me and right. I know that. Right. So if anybody wants to fucking dis you know, dispute what I'm saying, then whatever. But he literally was in gorilla getting ready to go out and Gerald Briscoe grabbed him and explained to him. And I'm sure it wasn't like, as the music was hitting, I'm sure it was like moments before the match was being set up or whatever. You know, we wait backstage before right. all that. Right. Grabbed him and told him what he was going to do and asked him straight up, can you fucking do this? And my dad said, yes. And he informed David. So there was some time there. He informed David where then then David went and warmed the car up, had the car ready, got all their luggages and all that stuff, part, part, you know, in their car. So this is nothing my dad was informed of all day for sure. Now, going into the match, he did know about it because he knew what he had to do. Yeah. 
There's no way that Sean didn't know this. And you're exactly you're exactly right. There's no first, way. First of all, that story that your father tells you that you just relayed to me. I, I don't know why anybody wouldn't believe that story. Like, like to me, that sounds like 100 percent. That's the way it went down with, with, with without a shadow of a doubt. But yeah, bro, like, come on, man. We're, we're very close to the business. And when, you know, Sean's denial as soon as this thing was over, come, come on, man. No, 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 no. He, he, he had, bro, Sean had to be in on it for his own personal well-being. Because Sean had to know, bro, you need to get out of Dodge. Because if you are the only one that is within distance of Brett, he, he literally could kill you. So Sean definitely had to be smartened up for his own protection to get the hell out of Dodge. No doubt, bro. You know, you know, something, Vince, that I, 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 you know, can't help but respect it with a lot of your work is that you started in 92 as a freelancer writer for the magazine. A couple of years later, you get promoted up to editor. A couple of years after that, you get up on the creative team. Was that the plan all along when you first never, say we're going to go never, in? Never, 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 never. RJ, I had, I had two mom and pop video stores on Long Island and we were doing extremely well. It was just at the boom of video. Okay. I loved it. I loved it, bro. I loved owning my own business. I loved the stores. And what happened, bro, was, you know, we were so successful that it was just a matter of time before Blockbuster was opening up next door. You know, it's, you know, and we were done, bro. We were done. So at that time, bro, I had, you know, I had young kids. I didn't know what I was going to do next. Bro, I was ecstatic when I got the job as the editor of the WWE magazine. I was a writer. I've got a degree in journalism. Uh, it, it paid 60 grand a year, which was more money than I had ever made at that time. I was completely satisfied with that job. Bro, I didn't even know what 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 was involved in writing TV or creative teams or producing. I didn't even know what was involved in that, bro. So no, man, I was just happy to have a full-time job at that salary in, 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 a play, in an industry that I was a fan of. So absolutely not did I have any intentions of winding up where I did. Something else that I found really, really very cool, and I did not know this, Vince, so we go through, you know, I, I have show notes, obviously, and you know how this thing works. And I noticed that you were actually went to school to train to be a wrestler. Right. And uh, Johnny Rots was your trainer. Is that right? Yeah. But, but see, Brian, that, that's the thing. That's the difference between me and I think a lot of people that get in the wrestling business today. Bro, I didn't want to be a wrestler. I didn't want to be a manager. If I was going to work in the wrestling business, bro, I wanted to understand every aspect of the wrestling business. I wanted to understand how this thing worked. 
And that's why I went through the process with Johnny Rods and took the bumps and worked an indie show. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, ECW guys were there before there was an ECW. That was part of my education, bro. If I was going to get in wrestling, I wanted to see how this thing worked. And it was a, it was a great education for me, bro. So like I mentioned before, Vince, you, you get to uh, part of the created team in 96, 97, you get promoted to head writer for, for raw. It seems like my research and just knowing, knowing your history, it's like wherever you go, whether it be, you know, uh, WWE went to WCW, TNA, you got in there and you know, you basically ran the place pretty much. You did, you brought those respective programs up how hard is it for those of you uh, listeners that aren't familiar with how tv specifically works how hard is it to get you know a 1.8 all the way up to where ultimately went during the monday night wars rj that is a great question because it's not hard at all and bro here is all i did I studied those ratings every week, backwards and forwards, minute by minute, bro, segment by segment. And, and, and bro, the ratings tell you a story. They tell you everything you need to know. They tell you who's drawing in the ring. They tell you who they're tuning out to. They're telling you what they want to see more of, what they want to see less of. So, bro, you take these numbers, which is the only real concrete information you have. Everything else is opinion. Everything else is opinion. Bro, you follow those ratings. You start giving them more of what they want. You stop eliminating what they're tuning out of. And your ratings start to grow. The people were writing the show, RJ, the, that w- w- when I was writing for these companies, the viewers were dictating and writing the show. But the problem today is there's too many egos involved, bro. So Triple H is creating a show that Triple H likes. It's, it's not about what Triple H likes. It's not about what Tony Khan likes. It's about what the masses like. And through those numbers, the masses are telling you what they like. But because you have an ego and you think you know everything, you're going to write the show that you want to write. That that's the difference, or RJ. I should sit here now and tell you, oh, bro, come on, RJ. I, I was some kind of creative genius. No, nobody could. No, bro. It's simple. It's simple. Look, study those ratings. It's a science, and let the people tell you what they want on the show. Yeah, because two years after that, after a promotion there to head writer for Raw, you surpassed Nitro and their head-to-head ratings. And that's pretty, that's the 83 weeks right there. So it just goes to show you where you know, ain't that difficult to do. You know, you gotta, not, like you said, bro, study. It's not, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I should be saying how hard it is. It's not freaking rocket science. Listen to the people. 
That's all you have to do. Listen to the people today. When people like me speak up, when people like Brian just spoke up about the refereeing, we're the enemy, bro. We're the enemy. I, 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 I just saw Rampage's number on Friday night, bro. They did 400,000 viewers. Bro, TNA, Brian, was doing 2 million viewers to on Spike. On Spike, bro. And, and we're, we're the enemy because we're saying, bro, casual fans are not going to buy it. Casual fans sit there and say, oh, bro, look how stupid the referees look. This, this, this is stupid. That's what casual fans say. But, but yet, we, we've become the enemy by stating the obvious. It's, it, it, you know, Vince, that's it's so, man, so spot on because, you know, here's my deal. I sometimes often wonder if it's just me because of the, the, the long heritage I've had in this business. And I just go, is it just me nitpicking? Is it just me, this, this, that? And I will literally basically do a study for myself. I'll bring my friends that have nothing to do with wrestling yep. and can't stand the shit, to be honest with you. And I'll have them sit down in a room and I'll go, I want to watch, watch one match and I want y'all to watch this. And I want y'all to tell me what the, the reasoning for this referee. Tell me the reasoning and the story. Tell me the reasoning of what you think is why this match happened. They can't give me shit. Yep. They look at it and they go, I don't even know what this referee even does in this match. And, I, and I'm, I'm just thinking, he doesn't do a fucking thing. He just stands yep. there, gets paid and tries to get glorified. Yep. The, work, yep. the workers that are in there, they can't tell you the story that's behind it. None of it. Yep. It, it. It just, it's just like some. <sighs> Brian, I, I, sat, I sat there. Uh, listen, bro. The only show I watch is raw. And I'll be honest with you, bro. The only reason I watch raw is I get paid to watch raw. If, if sports key to stop paying me to watch raw, I would not watch any wrestling anymore because it's, it's so below the quality of TV that I enjoy. But, Brian, I'm sitting there last night for three hours. Bro, not one story in three hours. In three hours, you can't come up with one single story in a three-hour show. You are not qualified to write that show. You are not qualified to be a head of creative. When you can't come up with one lousy story in three hours, you, you should not be in that spot. I don't care who you are, bro. Just because Triple H was an 18-time world champion doesn't qualify him to write a television show. It's two different things, bro. So, so one more quick thing on that note, and I just want you to be honest, and I know you will. There was a lot of like critique against you when you were in WCW where people felt you kept putting yourself as an on-air personality where, oh, Vince is just trying to get himself over. Vince is trying to do this. Vince is trying to do that. I, I totally see it differently because I understand how this shit works to a degree, not, not to your degree as far as writing, but... I, what, 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 what's your comeback on that? I mean, are you, where are you doing that? Bro, these people are so freaking naive. Let, 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 I, I'm going to give you, I'll give you a three-part answer to that. Um, and I've answered it a million times. First of all, Brian, you have to understand, when I got hired for the job at WCW, based on my experience at WWE, where it took us years 
to build those ratings. Years of good, consistent, quality shows every single week. It did not happen overnight. Nitro beat us 83 weeks in a row. Do the freaking math, bro. It took a long time. So when I went to the job for WCW, Brian, I explained to them, guys, this is not an overnight process. It took us 83 weeks to overcome WCW. This, this is an ongoing, you know, steady rise of good quality television shows every week. You are not going to see a change in the ratings for at least a year. I just want you guys to know this, that coming in. So, Brian, of course, oh, yeah, yeah, Vince, we know, we know, we know. Yeah, 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 of course. So, so Brian, I get hired, and what happens? They want, they want, they want an increase in, they want double the ratings next week. And I'm like, guys, I told you this up front. That's not how it works. So, Brian, what happened was they put so much pressure on me for ratings that I made a mistake. And I basically said, you want ratings, bro, F you, I'll go out there and do it my freaking self. Th that, that's, that's how much they pushed me. I didn't want to be a wrestler. I hated being on the show because being on the show took away from all my other duties. It, and I hated that, bro. I wanted to concentrate on the writing and the producing. And when you're an on-air talent, now you're being split in so many ways. I hated being an on-air talent. I got hurt being an on-air talent. And Brian, when I, when I won the belt, just so you guys understand, because the, these freaking marks will never understand this in their wildest dreams. Bro, here's what I see in wrestling today. The same story is repeated over and 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 over again. You see the same freaking stories. I never repeated a story, man. If I would be sitting there with Ed Ferrara or by myself and I'm writing a story and then all of a sudden I remember, well, wait a minute, bro. So-and-so did that in 1980. You know, Flair did that. No, bro, we're not going to do it. It's been done. So therefore, bro, when you come up with, with angles and stories outside of the box, outside of the ordinary, outside of the realm, all of a sudden, bro, as a writer, it opens up now all these creative avenues you did not have before. When, when Vince McMahon wins a Royal Rumble, now you can go in directions, bro, you could never have gone in before. When a Hollywood actor, you know, slips on a banana peel and the next thing you know, he's a champion. Now, all of a sudden, bro, you can go down this creative road that we've never been down before. It was the same thing with me. I won a belt by Goldberg almost killing me, bro. He, 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 he busted me through a cage. So technically, I got out of the cage before freaking Booker T. Bro, do you know, Brian, on, on th that was on Nitro. On the very next Thunder, I relinquished the title. 
the very next show, I said, you know what, bro? I got nothing else to prove. I kicked I kicked Booker's ass from pillar to post, bro. I proved that I'm the greatest wrestler in the history of this business. The very next show, I gave up that title. And people are still talking 25 years later that I put the belt on myself one, one day, bro, because, like, I was a mark. They have, bro, Brian, when you're writing two shows a week and a pay-per-view, bro, that's 116 shows a year. 116 shows a year. You've got to do crazy shit like that. Otherwise, you're just repeating the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And that's why we did things like that, bro. Well, I want to say, I, you know, I saw and witnessed you in WWF when I first got there. Obviously, I saw you in TNA. And, you know, Matt Conway and you were, like, absolutely incredible. I watched it unfold in front of my eyes. I don't know how you guys do it, first of all. It's just, it's nothing I could do. I can tell you that right now. If there's anything in this business I can't do, I can do a lot. But I cannot be a writer. Uh, because it's so much thought process to it that it, it, it's unbelievable. And if you listeners don't understand, you have to remember, you have to write week to week to week to week. And you have to have a long-term arc. Because that arc is what ultimately is going to pay off your pay-per-views and things of that nature. And I watched it in front of my face and it was just unbelievable. Yeah. And, but the- and Brian, you're working around injuries. You're working around guys failing drug tests and being suspended. You're working around contract disputes. So like every week you're being told, okay, you don't have so-and-so this week. Well, you know, back then when we didn't have so-and-so this week, we didn't just not have so-and-so this week. We had to come up with a reason why so-and-so wasn't on the show this week. You constantly get those things thrown at you that you have to juggle. And, bro, if you really, really care about it, it takes ages, years off your life. I don't think they care about it today, bro. They, they don't, I know the WWE doesn't care about it. I, I swear, bro, I was consulting for USA Network for, uh, for two years. Um, we, we just ended our relationship last WrestleMania. And I was consulting with the USA Network. And, bro, people don't understand this. The WWE gets paid the same amount of money from USA Network regardless of how many people are watching the show. So I I said to USA Network, the head of USA Network, are you effing kidding me? What is their incentive then to to increase the ratings? If, If they're making the same amount of money, if a million people watched or 10 million people, why should they even try, bro? You guys are paying them the same amount of money regardless of how bad the show is and how many people are watching. Bro, it it should have been a sliding scale. Bro, you hit a million people, you get paid this. You hit 2 million people, you get paid this. But no, bro, they could hit they they could do a 100,000 people 
and still get paid the same amount of money. There is no incentive for them, bro, to write a good, compelling show. So what do you get, bro? You get a show that is phoned in every single week with long match after long match after long match because what they're doing is they're fulfilling their contract with USA Network. We need to give USA Network three hours every Monday. It doesn't matter what's on it. It doesn't matter what it draws. They're going to pay us the same amount anyway. There is no incentive for them to put on a better show. And because of that, the fans are the ones getting screwed. So with, with, with that being said, and that, that, that is an amazing story actually right there. I want to drop back just for a minute because I want to say this to you and you're so fucking dead on because I've been saying this on my show for a long time. I watch these television shows and there are no rhyme of reasons for matches that are put on TV. Yep. There are no rhyme of reasons for a pay-per-view match that's on. Yep. I have looked at RJ and said, why the fuck are they doing this match? Yep. They're doing a ladder match. Okay, yep. great. Why are they doing a fucking ladder match? Right. It's yep. like they just throw these toys out there that I guess all these sick fucks are into that want to just watch people kill themselves and bleed and shit. I don't know. But to touch on that, like, you're so right. There's, I need to be intrigued by something. Yep. I want to be intrigued. I want... I want my wrestling product to be like Yellowstone where people want to watch it week to week. Whereas yep. there's, there's a story, there's a hook, there's something there. And in wrestling right now, I'm not going to lie. And I hate to say it because I love it so much. It's the fucking miserable shit. Yep. I can barely stand to say that I'm a fan anymore because it's so bad. Bro, I got to tell you, you hit the nail on the head, Brian. And, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the simplest, the simplest analogy for everybody to follow. Bro, the worst thing in the world for us, Brian, is Yellowstone is on Sunday night. So we watch Yellowstone Sunday night, and then we watch Raw on Monday. And bro, compared to Yellowstone, it's freaking kindergarten. It's kindergarten. Now, here's my analogy, bro. Brian, say Yellowstone was a was a show with a Western motif and say it was about cowboys and Indians. Okay? Well, tell me what well, you gotta tell me what motif means. You know, the you know, the theme of the show. The theme okay, of the show. Sorry. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, man. The show. That's okay. Say say it was cowboys and Indians. So this would be the equivalent of what we see on Raw. You tune in at Yellowstone at, at eight o'clock. And for the next hour, the Cowboys and Indians are just fighting. There's no story. There are no character development. They're just fighting. There's a fight. They're fighting. We go to commercial break. We come back to commercial break. They're fighting again. That's what Raw is, bro. They're, they're having matches because they're wrestlers and they don't like each other and they wrestle so we're just going to have match after match after match. That is the difference, bro, between a writer and a booker. This is the big difference. When Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo left the industry, the writers left. Here is the difference. Writers are writing a television show. What that means is 
you start with the story. What, what two characters would be able to tell a good, compelling story, work off of each other really well? You start with the story. Then the story turns into the match. That's how writers write. This is how bookers write. By bookers, I mean ex-wrestlers. What, what two guys are going to be the best match? What two guys are going to have a great match? So then you, you put the match first and you try to make sense out of that match with a story. And, and they're not writers, so they can't make any sense out of it. They're not freaking writers. That is the difference between a writer and a booker. Bro, it was okay to be a booker when it was territories. It was fine to be a booker. Bro, when you are on primetime television and you are competing with shows like Yellowstone, you better know how to write a television show. So I want to take it just a little bit back from what we were talking about before about, um, you know, booking differently. You didn't use the same storyline whatsoever. I want to actually, we have a call. We have an audio clip here, uh, Vince, that it's the night after, uh, I believe it's bash at the beach 2000. This is just a snippet of the promo that you cut. I just want to play this and then, uh, just talk about it a little bit after. So let me play it for you. Three weeks ago, I left WCW, and quite frankly, I didn't know if I was going to come back. And the reason I didn't know I was going to come back or not is because from day one, that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. The fact of the matter is, I've got a wife, I've got three kids at home, and I really don't need this shit. tell you the reason why I did come back. I came back for every one of the guys in that locker room that week in, week out, bust their ass for WCW. I came back for the Booker T. I came back for every single guy in MIA. Jared, I came back to the guys behind that curtain that give a shit about this company. And let me tell you who doesn't give a shit about this company. That goddamn politician Hulk Hogan. So, new, that was 2000. So by 2000, you're wearing many, many different hats. You said that you kind of want to, you know, get that uh, for better use of terms, forgive me if I, if it's not correct, but like the shock and awe kind of factor. 2000, is that pretty much what you're trying to do to, you know, keep this, keep WCW afloat and keep them as competitive 
with WWE as possible. Hey, hey Vince, Vince, real quick before you say anything, and, I, and I'm, I'm really dying to hear your comment, but I just want to say, listen to that clip. If anybody knows anything, that crowd was so invested in every fucking word you said. I know what a crowd holder is, and I'm going to say this. I don't know what your ratings were when you were on TV, and I'm sure you know, but I'm going to say right now, that clip right there, this is the first time I'm listening to this actually as a live type thing. And I know this is probably, you're probably thinking I'm full of shit. I'm not, I'm not. I, I, this is really the first time I've heard this clip in a full way. And I'm going to say right now, that crowd was fucking into everything you said. And there was booze, there was cheers, but they were all invested in this. And that's the shit that I'm missing. And I just want to say, Dude, that was to me, to me, that was awesome. I don't give a shit what anybody else says, and I don't really give a fuck. But what I want to say is this that's what wrestling used to be. And that was an example of that. I'm sorry, but I had to say that. But now go ahead. Yeah, you know, RJ, I am a big fan of this, and it's what Brian just said. And this is what I don't see this at all anymore. It's called being in the moment. Being in the moment, what, what, what's going on in your head at that time? What's going on physically, um, mentally, emotionally? Um, what, what's, what's really happening? What are the real emotions of the scene? For I was in the moment there. There was no thinking about WCW's future or storylines or what was going to happen to Vince Russo or where was I going to work next? There was none of that going on. That was me in the moment, real emotion, what I was going through and what I was failing, what, what I was feeling. That's what the business is lacking today. You, you, don't, you don't believe anything anybody says. You, you just, you, you, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's wrestling. It's the wrestling bubble. You're saying the same shit. Bro, I, I say this all the time. The only one that talks like professional wrestlers in the entire world are professional wrestlers. People don't talk like wrestlers talk, bro. They don't. So that 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 is Vince Russo really playing off of the emotion of the moment. So, so Vince, with um, you know, with with how 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 uh, how can I say this? I'm sorry, man. How how meaningful and heartfelt was this to you at that moment in time? Like, in other words, was this really a legit? In your uh, opinion, bro, it, bro, it, it was legit. It was you know you know you know what you're seeing there, bro. I'll tell you exactly what you're seeing there. You're seeing a kid that at about ten years old, twelve years old. Uh, put put on a UHF channel, and the first thing I ever saw was Captain Lou Albano and the Valiant Brothers. You're talking about a kid that the very from the very first time I saw professional wrestling, I knew what it was. I understood it. It was a spectacle with great characters and great stories. I loved it. I I fell in love with the industry for what it was. And what you're seeing in that promo is a, a, a husband, a father, a regular guy 
who wound up getting into the wrestling business and achieving a certain level and then realizing and understanding it was nothing like what that 10-year-old kid saw. And, and, and it's heartbreaking. It, it really is heartbreaking because, bro, the wrestling business can be and should be fun, but it's not, bro. It's not. It's it's everything I said it was in that promo. And to find that out the way I did, it was really heartbreaking. It, 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 it was such a, such a letdown and a disappointment to me. Um, and I, I think I think that's what you're seeing. You you are seeing a a wrestling fan experience the reality of what the professional wrestling business really is. I think that's what you're seeing. That's really really interesting. And um, just want to know this, by the way, we can do it offline in between me and you. But um, how were your ratings, by the way, when you were on? Bro, when I when I was at WCW, bro, we in the first three months before politics kicked in, we went from a 2.0 to a 3.0 in the first three months. And then politics kicked in and and I said, bro, do do whatever you want to do. I'm I'm going home. And that's basically what happened. By the time they brought me back three months later, they were already right down to the 2.0. So another company that uh you really took from the bottom and brought them up is tna uh you join july 2002 um with uh, you talk with jeff and jerry jarrett uh, looking at it you know you've been with the wwf wwe whatever wcw looking at this company what are you thinking when you walk in the doors here say oh crap what do i got to you know what do i got to work with here kind of thing I, you know what, bro? I'm, I'm, what, 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 what I'm really hoping, RJ, to be honest with you, what I'm really hoping is this is a new startup. I was very, very, very good friends with Jeff Double J. And the one thing I am looking forward to is zero politics. Like, seriously, Jeff's my friend. Jeff's my buddy. I've known Jeff for a long time. We are starting a new company from the ground up. And I was not going to have to deal with the politics that I dealt with in WCW. That, without a doubt, was the most appealing thing to me. Yeah, because would you say, would you, would you say, Vince, and I, I don't know how you feel, but would you say that your TNA experience was probably the highlight of your life as far as where you were employed. I, but you know, bro, I was there for like almost 10 years. Yeah. But bro, he, here's what happened, man. I said the same thing about AEW. He, here's what happens, Brian. You start a new company and like Tony Khan did the same thing. We're, we're not going to be like the WWE. We're going to be this. And there's going to be 401ks and there's going to be this and there's going to be that. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to everything he says. And because of my experience, I said off the bat, no, Tony, it's the wrestling business. So it's going to turn into a wrestling company. 
That's exactly what happened at TNA, bro, because all of a sudden, bro, the, the politicians work Dixie Carter, and all of a sudden, bro, you've got the same players in the game with the same politics going on. Bro, the same exact thing happened to Tony Khan. No, no matter what your intentions are, bro, it's the wrestling business and everything turns into wrestling, bro. So, so if you were a genie, if you were a genie, which we know you're not, right? but if you were a genie and you were to rub your crystal ball and say, what's Tony Khan and AEW's future, what would you say? The, the, the audience is going to continue to diminish. I mean, it, it, it's already a niche product. They, they've made it a niche product. They've said it is a niche product. The, the audience will continue to diminish. And, and the, the, the piece of the wrestling pie, bro, is just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller because nobody, bro, nobody is working towards bringing the casual fans and bringing the masses back to professional wrestling. Nobody, nobody is focused on that whatsoever. So that means that you're not going to grow your audience. It's just going to continue to diminish. Could you once uh, just do me one little favor, and whether it be good or positive, that's up to you. I don't know, because I, 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 this is something I'm curious about. And this is why I'm so glad that you're on here, because I never get to talk to a writer and like we're sitting down now to talking about. Your experiences with um, Dixie Carter were, were what? In, 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 a, in a nutshell, for you. Bro, I will never, ever talk badly about Dixie, because underneath it all, Dixie was a great human being. I still, I still am in contact with Dixie to this day, bro. And I walked away from W the, from TNA in 2012. So 10 years later, we still have communication back and forth. She was a victim of the wrestling business, bro. It, it's, it's that simple. I look at Dixie Carter as a victim. She was a victim. She was used. She was abused. She was taken advantage of, she was bullied, and she was just in the wrong business. And it's funny, bro, because the same exact thing is happening to Tony Khan, but he, he doesn't even realize and understand what's happening as it's happening. So I think Dixie was a great human being. I think she had all the right intentions. I think she was an absolute victim of the wrestling business. Vince, you know, to touch on that, I want to say this. Um, I, you, you weren't talent, so you're, not, you're probably not even sure of what I'm getting ready to say, but there were some rough spots for me uh, when financially things were broke down a little bit. I uh, went through some rough spots where I was owed a lot of money, but I will say, and I've always said this, I was always paid, always paid. Um, it might not have been in the efficient way that I would like to have been paid, but I was always paid and I could never not Dixie for that. I was always paid. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that you are so dead on because I saw this in front of my own eyes. Mm 
And me and my father actually sat down with Dixie one night and we were with Hermie Sadler. I don't know if you remember Hermie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was a breakdown situation where we were like, you can't have these motherfuckers running you. You need to run them and you need to use the people you have to help control this environment, which were guys like you, which were guys like Conway, mm-hmm. which were guys like Jared. And I just don't know why that wasn't used. And, and, and like you said, she was just blindsided. Yeah. I I, got to tell you, Brian Dixie's biggest flaw. And I see the same thing with Tony Khan, bro, bro. Listen, we all make mistakes and mistakes are good. Mistakes are good. If you learn from mistakes, you become better. You become stronger. You become smarter. You become wiser. We all need to make mistakes to grow. However, when you don't learn from those mistakes and you just have a pattern of repeating them over and over and over, it is going to catch up with you. I don't believe Dixie learned by her mistakes. I see the same exact pattern now with Tony Khan. Bro, you're going to make mistakes but you've got to take something away from that and not repeat the mistakes, bro. I think that was Dixie's biggest problem, bro. Just repeating mistakes over and over again. And the last thing I want to say real quick, uh, speaking of mistakes, what we want to do is, or what I want to do is, we're going to talk about or ask about maybe a few viewers and we're going to, Talk about that. And as we do that, we're going to also check out some fan questions and see what they want to ask you. And we're going to do that when we come back in the third count. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your third count. Count, count, count. Vince, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get to some listener questions is... um, you know, kind of that shock and awe factor. I always loved it in WCW. Saw a little bit of here early 2003 in uh, um, TNA. You got in the ring with Jeff Jarrett in a street fight. Was that a matter of saying, hey, let's put up or shut up kind of time and say, hey, this is what we're going to be doing here? God, bro, you want to know the truth about that, man. Um, <sighs> Jeff is a wrestler. Um, and I made a honest comment to Jeff as a wrestler that he did not like, and I did not make the comment to Jeff to insult him. I, I made the comment to Jeff because it was very, very glaring to me at the time. And I knew a lot of viewers were seeing what I was seeing. Okay, bro. Uh, yeah, Brian doesn't. You know, but I, I I talk about this very, very, very rarely. But bro, we we were at a we were at a creative meeting at Jeff's house. It was probably me, Jeff Dutch, and Conway. I don't know if Conway was even there yet. And bro, the the work had just it was beginning to look like really fake. 
like rabbit punches. And I mean, it just, it did not look good and snug and real. And I made that comment to Jeff. And what I basically said to Jeff is, bro, you guys, you're you're big guys. You know, you guys work out at the gym every single day. You've guys got muscle. You've guys got bulk. Like, can you not make contact without hurting each other? Like, seriously, bro, can you not punch (laughs) each other? Brian, I was being legit. Like, can you guys, like, literally not punch each other without hurting each other? Because, bro, this a lot of this stuff looks like shit. I, I was just being honest with him. So, RJ, what you saw is I had that conversation with Jeff a few days prior to that street fight, okay? Bro, he beat the living shit out of me. He, as a shoot, he beat... That was the worst beating I ever got in my entire life. My entire body, bro was covered in bruises, black and blue. Bro, there was one point where he had me hogtied like this, hitting me with full-on chair shots. Full-on, bro, and I had no way to protect myself. And if you see my face, my face is saying to him, what the fuck are you doing, bro? (laughs) <laughs> but but li- literally, because I made the mistake of saying, uh, you think you guys could be a little bit more snug so it could be a little bit more believable? <laughs> so, bro, that that was a 100% sure. I mean, bro, he literally beat the ever-loving shit out of me that night. Well, well, Vince, I'll have to say to you, and, and you admitted it. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that because... Yes, you made a mistake. You did. Yeah, right. You did. But, and- but, but, bro, it was coming from the right place. It, it was coming from, bro, if I'm seeing this, the people at home are seeing this. It, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't an insult. It was really coming from a genuine place. No, no, no. And I, and I get that. I, I totally understand yeah. that. Yeah. And I do. And, 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 and so I'll, I'll just give you a story real quick, too. Um, I was taking, well, it was it was Brock versus Undertaker, and I was taking a clothesline from the Undertaker. I don't know what I was thinking that day, but <laughs> I asked Undertaker, you know, he said, what do you want to do? He let me set the bump up and everything. And so I said, you know, feed, um, you know, go, go shoot Brock, reverse it. You come out of the corner to clothesline him. And I'll stand right behind him and you take my head off. And I said, but I really need you to fucking take my head off. I said, because I wanted, to... yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Yeah. And, and I said, because I want to do a nice little bump for you. And I want to fucking go heel over toes. I want to fucking do a big 360, but I need you to fucking smack me. He goes, are you asking me whether I'm going to hit you hard enough? And I said, no, what I'm saying is don't sing it, bring it. And he says, Okay. <laughs> Well, let me just explain to you when he fucking hit me. Um, yeah, I, um, I really believe that I have a, uh, 
I don't know what you call it, but anyway, I I have something fucked up in my body right now. That's still <laughs> Oh, bro. Very, very similar story, Brian. I, I feel your pain, bro. Yes. I almost an identical story, bro. Yes. Yep. And I meant it, and I meant it like you did minute innocently and nice. Right. I just wanted him to bring it so I could do that nice bump for him to make it right. the house yep. pop, yep. you know, just yep. to, you know, do whatever. And fuck, he took yep. that the totally opposite yep. way. Yep. Exactly. You learn the hard way, bro. I learned the hard way, man. So let me ask you this. Uh, so you, you don't watch a lot of other wrestling people. No. Meaning you don't watch a lot of AEW and you, 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 you never mind. Um, <laughs> and, and you don't watch uh, impact at, as much or probably none or either, or, but as far as what you see right now, do you think blood is something that is used too much? Not enough over the top. What, where, where are you at there? Um, well, I definitely think it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I highlights that I see of AEW, I definitely, definitely think it's used way too much there. I don't know how much impact uses it. WWE rarely uses it at all, but I think it is way, 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 way too much over the top at AEW. Do you, did you work with John Moxley? No. Okay. Well, that guy can't have a match without having blood all over himself. It's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. And I don't understand the, 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 the storyline derivative to that. I don't understand. Man, I don't, Brian, I don't get it. Brian, you know what my biggest pet peeve is, bro. And I don't know, bro. Maybe it's because I worked with so many great females and bro, I got to tell you for whatever reason, my relationship with all the women I ever worked with, bro, it was almost like father-daughter. That was the relationship, bro. Um, and I really loved these girls and I really cared for these girls at every company, you know, I worked with. Bro, I swear to God, girls in AEW getting color. I, 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 I'm sorry, bro. You, you can call me a male chauvinistic pig. I don't give a shit. Call me whatever <laughs> you want. I don't like to see women bleed, bro. And if, if anybody is getting off on seeing women bleed, then bro, something is wrong with you. You should probably be going to see a psychiatrist or something. There is nothing appealing whatsoever about seeing a female bleed. And you you could you could say whatever you want. Bro, never in a million years would I have asked that of a of a Gail Kim or a Velvet Sky or a Mickey James? Never in a million years. That to me is sick. That is sick. When you've got girls bleeding all over each other, bro. If you're a dude and you're writing this shit, something is wrong with you. Something is wrong, bro. So Vince, our first question comes from uh, WWE Master 2018. He asks, uh, what's a dream or a new wrestling stipulation you wanted to do in WWE, WCW, or TNA while you were still there? RJ, real quick, Vince, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, RJ, you, you can't not sell that. I had to mute my phone. <laughs> what the oh, fuck? Oh, Vince. Oh, I'm, I'm no sell. Well, well. Uh, I'm not no selling that fucking that was fucking phenomenal. You're right. <laughs> I, 
I don't want to see a woman bleed either, man. I mean, you know, if bro, there bro, was this. Bro, think, think about this. Brian, are you married? Uh, well, I'm separated, but I was for 19 okay, years. You, you, you were married. You had a wife. Bro, some of these women are somebody's wives. Like, can, can you imagine as a husband, your wife going to work and some Yahoo telling her that she's going to blade herself and bleed? <laughs> think, think about that, bro. I swear to God. If I, if I, was, if I was the husband of that wrestler, I, I would be at the next show saying, are you effing kidding me? Hey, bro, why, why don't you bring your wife down here and ask your wife to freaking blade her forehead? Like, come on, bro. Like, serious. Are you out of your freaking minds? Think about that, bro. Think, th think about if that's your freaking daughter. Like, come on, man. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a male chauvinist, bro. I don't want to see girls bleeding like pigs in wrestling. Come on, man. It's ridiculous, bro. Uh, I, hey, you know what? I I could not not sell it. RJ could, but I couldn't. Okay. I mean, fuck. <laughs> All okay. right, next question, okay. RJ. Well, hey, when you when you're right, Brian, you're right. I, what, what can I say? When you're right, I'm always right. I'm always right, RJ. Right. Yeah. We'll put put that in a bumper sticker. Uh, people know what bumper stickers are too, right? Anyway. Anyways. Um. So no. Uh, oh, oh yeah. One one thing, bro. This yeah. is so ridiculous, RJ. This <laughs> is a a effing joke in 2022, and this is the only reason it exists because there's no creativity. There is zero creativity, bro. They don't know how to do shit. The fact in 2022 that you can retain your championship belt by being counted out or disqualified, what an effing joke. That is a joke, bro. That would never, ever, ever be the case in the real world. If, if you are a boxer or you are an MMA guy and a guy is literally beating the shit out of you and you're just about to go down, you know, and you are going to lose your title and you are going to lose a shitload of money and all of a sudden you take your thumb and ram it in his eye to save yourself in what world bro are you gonna get disqualified <laughs> and keep the title it is so archaic and so ridiculous and so stupid bro but they need that as a crutch because of their lack of creativity how can you be a heel and defend the title when all you have to do is walk back to the locker room every single week and get counted out. How, how, how does that still exist in 2022? And how could anybody justify that to me and explain that to me? It is a freaking joke bro you you still have it and you use it as a crutch because you don't know any other way how to get out of matches it's a joke bro a joke how in the fuck are you not wrestling right now fuck let's open a company vince i'm telling you bro it, 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 you know <laughs> brian it's the, i've been calling it this from day one it's the wrestling bubble these guys live in a freaking bubble and they are so out of touch with what's going on in the freaking real world that they're still doing the same shit that they did from 1940 and they expect it to still make sense in 2022. Come on, man. 
It's, it's, it's a joke, bro. All right. So our next question comes from Brad Stanton. He says, you were responsible for some of the greatest moments in wrestling history. You were also criticized for some of the notorious moments. Do you believe that if everything you try works out, then you are not trying hard enough? Absolutely, bro. Bro, listen, RJ, I I, I will. You you can have this printed on my tombstone. I would rather try something new and have it fail than just keep regurgitating the same thing over and over and over again. My failures, bro, were simply because I was trying something new. That was the failure. We tried something new and it didn't work. I will take that every single time over regurgitating the same boring angle every single week, bro. So I have zero, zero problems with with failures, bro. So this is going to be difficult, I think. So this is by... uh, John Johnson, or so, or so he says, but anyway, um, what would you say was your best storyline wise, if you ever can name one and your favorite character that you created? Um, I would say definitely storyline wise was rock joining the corporation because that was done over months and months and months and nobody saw it coming. I I believe, Brian, I don't mean to be cocky or arrogant. You you will never, ever, ever, till the day we die, Brian, you will never see a better storyline than that in wrestling because that was written for months, all the nuances, all the little things. You'll never see a story like that again. my favorite character, bro, was definitely Dustin is Goldust because, like, it was such a creative, outside of the box, bizarre character that he played so freaking well that it was just, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was just so creative to be able to write for somebody like that. That was definitely my favorite. Our next question comes from Mike Whitaker. He asks, if you were ever to had the opportunity to start a wrestling promotion, would you? Absolutely not. No way. (laughs) No way. Bro, the only thing I would do at this point in my career, and and I was, like I said, bro, bro, would you believe I was consulting for the USA Network for two years? Bro, people think I'm lying about that. Like, like people, people actually believe that I'm making that up. So, you know, people that don't like me, bro, no, no matter what I say, it's a lie. Like, like the reason I say these things that I say, according to them is because I'm so bitter that a wrestling company doesn't freaking hire me, bro. Do you know, this is my job every single day. I go downstairs, bro, in in my finished office. I work my own hours. I'm usually done with my shows by noon. 
I make a good living. At 12 o'clock, I can go out in my Jeep in Colorado and do whatever the hell I want to do. The, the thought of ever working for a full-time wrestling company again, bro, I swear to God, I would slit my throat. But what I would do is this, and, and I just did it for USA. Bro, if you want me to consult and I, and I sit from here and I watch what you want me to watch and I work on a character you might want me to work on, fine, no problem. I would do that all day long, bro. But that's only because as a consultant, I am my own boss. You are not my boss. You are not going to tell me what to do, what not to do. We are not going to play politics. So at this point in my life, 100%, bro, open to consulting. Never in my life would I go to this industry back full time. Yeah, sign me up for that, right? <laughs> yeah. So I uh, saw a tweet that you did, and I popped so huge so huge and if i could retweet it a thousand times i would do it i could only do it once but you tweeted about i, I don't want to I, I want you to tell about it it's not about me so I, but you tweeted about someone being kicked in the face <laughs> and well, what, what, what I, 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 and so to lay it out to the listeners you had just said which i so you're making me say freaking instead of fuck because I guess you don't like the word. <laughs> um, it made me so freaking mad and like like happy because you're so freaking right. So just you 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 tell the story. Well, I, well, where, where, where where it came from was la last night. Jay Uso and Kevin Owens. My God, bro! I, I am not exaggerating. I, I'd say there were a min, there was a minimum of 12 super kicks to the face. A minimum of at least 12 kicks, super kicks to the face. Now, Vince, so, Vince, 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 hold on. But you know what this is called nowadays to this younger youth? This is called a super kick party. Super kick party. Yeah, okay, <laughs> super kick party. So I, I'm just watching this, and, and I'm just, again, I'm the casual fan at home. I am the casual fan at home. So the first thing I'm saying is ha like, have either one of you guys as a shoot ever been kicked in the face? So like, seriously, what, what, what I recommend is let's start at NXT, bro. Let, let's bring in an MMA champion. Let, let, let's have a single file outside of the ring and let's one by one. We'll bring, we'll bring you in the ring and this MMA fighter is going to kick you square in the face. And let, let, for, for shits and giggles, bro, let's see what that feels like. Let, let, let's see what the after effect is of that. Let, let's really see, bro, how long it takes you to get up if you get up at all. Let's, let's, let's see, bro, if you aren't knocked out freaking cold, bro, they, <laughs> they, they, they've literally killed so many moves in wrestling that meant everything. The super kick now means zero. It means 
absolutely nothing. And, and again, bro, that's the disconnect with the casual fan because a casual fan is sitting there saying, brother, if you've ever been kicked straight in the jaw, you ain't getting up, you ain't kicking out it too. And, and that's the disconnect, bro. So Vince, let me, so, so to break your story down, which makes mine even better, I think, and yours, when you're trained to be a cop, and I know a lot of them, they get tasered. They want to feel that moment. They get tasered. There you so go. They fuck they're doing. Oh, I'm sorry, Vince, freaking. <laughs> they get freaking tasered. And I mean, what your your point is so valid because you're right. Shawn Michaels would hit a would hit a super kick, and guess what? That was it. But 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 Brian, here's the bizarre thing to me. Here's what I don't understand. Who's the head trainer at NXT? Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. I, 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 bro, are you kidding? Like, really, Shawn? Like, what? Like, Sean was the guy that loaded it up, match over. These people coming out of NXT, like, bro, that that's the part I don't freaking get. Why are people like Triple H and Shawn Michaels, why are they allowing this to happen down at NXT so we can happen on the main stage on primetime television? These guys know better than that. Don't give me the bullshit, bro. It's a different time. What, like, what does that even mean? What is that? A kick in the face, bro, is a kick in the face. Whether it's the Attitude Era or 2022, a kick in the face is a kick in the face. What, 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 what does a different time mean? In 2022, you can withstand a kick in the face? What, why, bro? What, what, what changed from 20 years ago where a kick in the face would knock a guy out? It's 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 such BS, bro. It's it's such a cop out. And again, everything goes back to this is why no casual fans are watching wrestling. Right. All right. So the last question I have on my list, Brian. So you may have a few over there, but um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, from Devin Dowling, he said, out of all your roles in wrestling, from magazine editor to being uh, close to Vince McMahon as right hand man to retired podcaster what's your favorite role or job that you've had bro probably this yeah Pro probably this bro because i i can be myself i don't have to worry about politics i don't have to worry about pissing anybody off i, I i'm not looking for a job so i don't have to kiss anybody's ass the having the freedom to be 100% me, truthful, honest. This is probably the best gig I've ever, ever had, probably in my life, bro. You know, Vince, it's so funny that you're saying what you're saying because, you know, I, when I started this podcast, I was I was still employed by Impact Wrestling. And um, I, I shocked them a little bit because I made a move and I said, you know what, I, I, I'm done. I, I want to be healthy. I want to be here for my kids. I don't want a broke down body. I see my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. I just, you know, not, 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 no disrespect to him right. at all. I just, I don't want to be that. I want to be better than that. And 
So me and RJ were sitting around talking and RJ's like, well, do you really want to talk about this? Do you really want to talk about that? And I said, dude, I don't give a fuck because I can't get hired. <laughs> I can't get fired. Right. I don't care. And if people don't like what I say, fuck them. Oh, I'm sorry. Freak them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it means so much because, you know, you know, Bully Ray, like, called it out, you know, and, and, and you know, we were on, uh, I was on his show, Busted Open, the, the Masters or whatever. And, you know, I was saying stuff and I was like, we're, like he could tell I was holding back because he knows me so well. And um, and I love him by the way. Me and him have always been tight. Me too, man. And, me too. Yeah. And um, he goes, Brian, stop for quick. And he's just like, How many WrestleManias have you done? How many mini events have you done? How many da 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 da? And I was like, and I answered all the questions. He's like, Well, you know what? Fuck all the people that don't respect what you say. Fuck them. Go ahead. Say what the fuck you want. And you know what? It's not like that for me. I don't I I, I don't feel like I'm like that. I don't feel like, you know. I've always been modest and I've always just been proud of what I do. And I've always been proud of the way I've been taught. And I just feel like sometimes like this is the best outlet for me. And I think it's like maybe that for you is because you can just say what you want to say and say how you want to say it. And you don't have to answer that fucking anybody. If you don't like it, either a don't listen or B listen and love it, whatever. Yep. Yep. Bro, I swear to God, I got the same advice. When I first started this, bro, I started my podcasting like eight years ago. I start, bro, after I left, uh, after I left TNA in 2012, I, I left in January. I think I started like podcasting in May. Bro, back then, Bully Ray gave me the same freaking advice. The same advice, bro. Say, say what you want to say and and f them. And uh, you know, bro, there there is such a uh, there is such a freedom to that that I've never ever ever experienced uh, in this business. But Vince, you're so you're so right. I mean, you can just and, and you know what? I, I don't want to beat the business up. I don't. I, I really don't. I, and I, I really want to put positive things out there. But you know what? It's just so freaking minimal. No, no, Brian. It needs to be beat up. It needs to be beat up, bro, because when we were in this business, bro, wrestling on a Monday night was drawing 10 million people. 10. We did that. We we set that up for the future. We did that. And what did they do, bro? What did they do? They they they, they pissed it all away. And 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 now you're getting 800,000 people watch AEW and that's a freaking victory. Are you kidding me? No, bro. They deserve to be beat up. Cause you know why, Brian, they ain't trying hard enough. They're not trying hard enough, bro. They, they, the wrestling business now concedes to Monday night football. They concede to the NBA. Oh, we're we're never going to beat Monday night football. Yeah. Well, you know what, bro? Then you're a freaking loser. And, and if you're going to concede to never beating Monday Night Football, why are you even in the game to begin with? Our goal during the Attitude Era was to beat Monday Night Football. That was the freaking goal, bro. So I, I, I don't want to freaking hear it. If, if, if that's not your mentality, then why are you even in the freaking game, bro? You're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. So the fact that a, a, a business that was doing 10 million people 
is now doing a million and a half on a Monday night, bro, screw that. You deserve to get beat up because you ain't freaking trying hard enough. Period. End of story. Dude, I, you know, you're speaking to the choir because I understand the, the way when, when me and you were, were in TNA and we were on Spike TV, we were popping numbers. I remember the, the Bully Ray wedding. And I'm not, I'm not trying to put Bully over. Bully sucked my balls. Um, <laughs> but I keep putting them over. But anyway, um, but I remember like the, the, those little things, those little nuances. I remember being in the meetings with you and I remember you getting beat up too. I remember that stuff too. And I never felt like it was fair. Um, one of the biggest things that I remember and, and is it controversy? Sure. Is it whatever it is? Sure. But like you said, we were doing the same thing for a little bit. I remember when we brought Orlando Jordan in, it was this weird gimmick that we did with Orlando Jordan. It was weird to everybody. Everybody was freaking out about it and all that stuff. You know what? Open your sexuality up and just fucking just let, you know, let things go. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We lowered him. We lowered him in. He had this, like, um, I'm trying to explain it to my, my, I'll let you do it. Uh, uh, But, Go ahead. Bro, what 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 I saw when something like that happens, what I see is I see a unique character. There is nobody like this guy, whether you understand them or don't understand them, whether you understand the lifestyle, the sexuality, or you don't, this guy stands out because he's different. He's different, bro. And I, I was a big advocate for that guy. But you know what? You know what happens sometimes, you, you know, Brian, with me especially? I, I, I get to the point of I, I get tired of trying to convince you. I, I, I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince you of something that I know we need to do. And, and that's what was really happening to me at the end of my TNA run. I was spending so much time trying to convince people of what we needed to do that I was just like, you know what, bro? F it. I'm going home. I'm going to find something else to do. Do whatever the frig you wanted to do. And like I said, bro, at TNA, all of a sudden, those ratings disappeared. Spike deal disappears. And now they're doing whatever they're doing. So I want, I, I want to touch on that real quick. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've got some homework for you, Vince. And hopefully you'll, you'll do it. And I would love for you to respond back to me at some point later. Uh, I want you to know this, and I mean this, and it's not because I used to work there and it's the last place I worked. It has nothing to fucking do, I'm sorry, freaking to do with it. That is the best product out right now. If you want to follow storylines, and you want to follow story and why matches are made and why matches are being paid for and things of that nature, something easy to follow each and every week. You could watch it this Thursday, and I guarantee you any amount of money, it may take you a minute. And I'm not saying you would love it, but you would be connected to what is going on. And this is, to me, what we have talked about our entire show that we've done today with you is that this is gone, but it's not gone there. 
And I just so pray that you would look at this and you would say to me, like I'm saying to you, if they just had a bigger stage, they could cut into numbers. They could actually get people to watch. And it just pisses me off. And I don't have control of that. But I've been told by people that have been there, that have been from other places, that have come down there to do, do some one-offs and do this and that and that. It's a comfort zone kind of thing where they're they're happy with their controllable state that they're in and that kind of thing. I, you know, I, I'm not here to dispute that. I don't know that. I don't know any of that stuff. And I don't care about that stuff. It's not my business. They pay me very well. And I, I'm very blessed to have worked and finished up there because to me, that was the company that made sense. Um, but I just want you to know, I, I really want you to check that out. And I really want you to give me some feedback. It doesn't have to be on this show, but it can be through a, through a text, through an email, through whatever you want. I just really want you to just sit down and watch at least two weeks and just let me know how you feel about it because I'm telling you it's 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 the most complete wrestling show that's out there yeah okay I mean fair fair enough yeah I have not watched that bro in in ages man so but yeah I mean fair enough and then I have another question for you now, this is from a listener and I, and I did not jot the name down I'm sorry um when you were in WWE the creative process, when it went through the likes of uh, Vince McMahon, were, was it a struggle to get ideas to go through? And how did that process work? Not, not, not at all, bro. They, they've, they've turned this into such a cluster. How it worked at its peak, bro, was Ed Ferrara would come to my house. Uh, you know, we, you know, roar on Monday, Travel back from Raw on Tuesday. Now, now um, you lived in now you lived in New York, correct? Connecticut. Connect. Oh, at that time because you yeah, were okay yeah, with yeah, the office. Yeah, yeah. So Ed lived up there as well. Yeah, Ed lived up there. Well, th Wednesday morning, Ed Ferrara would come to my house. First thing, Wednesday morning, Ed Ferrara and I would write the entire show, the entire show, segment one, segment two promos, going into break, cliffhanger at the end, we would write the entire show. Now, bro, as we're writing the entire show, you got to understand, we knew Vince McMahon so well, we knew what holes he was going to try to poke in it. So we, we, we were aware of, you know, the defense of the show and you know, what we were going to have to explain to him. We, we knew him inside out. So we would write the entire show on a Wednesday on a Thursday. Now we go to his house and we, we, we walk through the show with him, the entire show. And bro, all Vince did was, you know, a little tweak here, a little tweak there. He he would take, you know, our segments and, you know, make them better. But he would never, ever change the framework of the show. He would never change matches. He would never change angles. He would never change storylines. We presented him with a full polished show 
And all he had to do was go through that show and add his little Vince McMahon touches. That's it, bro. That, that was the process. I would leave his house, me and Ed, on Thursday. Friday, I would, I, you know, Friday, first thing in the morning, I would sit behind my computer. I would add all Vince's little touches and notes. I would go back up to his office on Friday afternoon with the final product. That's it. The show never changed at TV. It never changed at the 12th hour. When the show was put to bed on Friday evening, that was the show you saw on Monday night. It was simple, bro. It was simple. They went from that to 30 riders and a SmackDown team and a Raw team. And this one reports, holy crap. Keep it simple, stupid. That's how simple it was, man. So how would you say the creative process at TNA was when you were there? Well, when it, when it was working, when, when, when it was working, bro, it would be me. It would be me, Jeff, Dutch, and Conway um, meeting at Jeff's house. I'll be honest with you, um, bro. I, I, I used to, I, I laid out the majority of the stuff because I was always constantly thinking of it. So I laid out the majority of the stuff and, you know, then Dutch would get involved and, uh, you know, Jeff would get involved. And then, bro, when Jeff got sent home because of Kurt Angle, it was just me and Conway, bro. That's it. Me, me and Conway. And, and I really felt that was some of the best stuff. But little did I know behind my back, I did not know Dixie was talking to Hulk and Dixie was talking to Bischoff. And once those guys came in, bro, it just, it, it, for me, it just was not fun working there anymore. So to touch on that real quick, and, I, and I'm not asking you to bury nobody, and I know you won't, and I know you will if you can, whatever it is. But do you think that the Hulk and Bischoff regime, when they came in, was the downfall? Bro, you know what was the downfall? Nobody understands this. I, I swear to God, bro. The, 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 nobody, nobody talks about the things that really freaking matter because they, they've got a narrative and, and they want you to believe the narrative and that's all. This was the downfall, Brian. Dixie wanted to bring in Hulk Hogan. She did, she, she, she did, the plan wasn't to bring in Eric Bischoff. She wanted to bring in Hulk Hogan. Bro, Hulk being a wrestler, you know, you know, smelt, smelt the blood in the water. And of course it became, well, if you want me, you've got to give Eric a job. Of, of course. So, so now it was a package deal. Bro, the reality of it was Dixie Carter could not afford to pay the both of them. So now in order to pay the both of them, we're taking money out of advertising. We're taking money out of promotion. We're taking money out of marketing. Now we're, we're taking money out of all these other departments 
just to pay their salaries. So now all of a sudden, we're doing house shows that nobody knows about because you didn't spend any money on promotion because there was no budget. You're not doing any promotion that we are on the, uh, you know, spike network and spending money there. She could not afford to pay the both of them. And, and literally bro, by, by, like I said, robbing Peter to pay Paul that started putting them in a financial hole and the rest is just history, bro. It just pretty much crumbled from there. Do you think if that decision wasn't made, TNA would be in a different state? Bro, I, I will tell you this, Brian. I will tell you this. Dixie was this close, bro, to hiring JR to run the entire company. And JR got along with her parents so well that I think Dixie was afraid of losing the company and JR running the company and not her. I say it to this day, bro. If JR was hired and JR was allowed to do what he felt needed to be done, I feel that company would still be running strong today. All right. I'm, I'm, well, that, last question. This is not, not last question for tonight, but last question right now. This is me, curiosity. This is this is coming from Brian Ebner. The big hire. Big. Uh, John, uh, what's Gaborik, his last Gaborik, name? Gaborik. Gaborik, sorry. Uh, I, 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 why? Bro, I swear, Brian, we could have a three-hour conversation. Here's the bottom line with Dixie Carter. This is the psychology of it. This is what happened. I saw it with my own two eyes. I'm going to try to condense this and make this short. The first week TNA ran their first show, Jeff lost his sponsor. Jeff lost Health South. TNA was over. Over, done after one show, done. Why? Because Jeff lost Health South. That was they were the money mark. They, they that's where he was. They were funding the show. Jeff lost them the first week, bro. They pulled out. The guy got into some legal trouble or something, and they were done. And I remember I was at Jeff's house. That week, and Jeff says, Vince, you know who Dixie Carter is? She does our promotion. And I'm like, yeah. Bro, she told me her parents have a lot of money. They own this Panda Energy in Texas and this, that, and the other thing. And maybe I should have a talk with them about the future of TNA. They had the meeting. Panda Energy, the Carters wound up buying TNA. So now Dixie was the boss, bro. And Jeff was reporting to Dixie. Now, it was not Jeff's company anymore. It was the Carter's money. Jeff was a shareholder. He was not the boss anymore. And, bro, what happened was, early on, Dixie was giving her opinions on the show, opinions about creative, her opinions about everything. Jeff did not like it. 
Jeff just wanted her money. He did not want her opinion. He wanted her to be the owner with the money, but he wanted to run the company. So what he did, bro, to be honest with you, was he bullied her. He made her feel inferior. He made her feel stupid. He made her feel incompetent. He made her afraid to ever speak up because he convinced her, you know absolutely nothing about this business. He bullied her, bro. That's what he did. What he did. That set the entire course of the history of TNA. Because from that point on, Dixie was afraid to speak up. Dixie was afraid to make a decision. So she was always looking for that person that could do that for her. We went through Eric Bischoff, bro. We went through Bruce Pritchard. This is why we went through all those people. This is why Big was hired at the end. And bro, that that was all set up from day one, where Dixie was scared to death to make a decision because Jeff really made her feel like she was totally incompetent. And for the rest of her history, that's how she played her hand. She was always looking for that person to make the decisions for her. JR, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, Bruce Pritchard, and finally Big. That's the history, bro. So were you you went were you there for the Bruce Pritchard era? I I I yeah, bro I I I got Bruce hired uh within 2 weeks uh Bruce did his magic and became my boss which I knew was going to happen. I I I I knew Bruce was going to be Bruce once he came in. I knew he was going to work Dixie. I knew exactly what he was going to do. But I, 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 I wanted to help him out because he needed a job. So after that happened, bro, God, I probably left about a month after that. Wow. And then uh, Conway was able to stay. Yeah. For a while. And then he became, I would assume he would become lead writer at that point correct yeah i don't i don't know bro because once once i left i don't i really don't know what happened at that point i don't know well there were there now there were there were uh rumblings that you were undercarding uh writing for us uh i i i i, I, I was consulting for a while bro when when everybody got sent home when jeff got sent home when Eric got sent home when Bruce went home, when everybody was gone, bro. uh, She contacted me and I was working as a consultant. And of course, bro, that didn't work out because of typical wrestling bullshit for whatever reason, bro, that had to be a secret. No, nobody could know Vince's consulting. First of all, bro, I can't be a consultor. I I, consulted. I can't write for you. I can't produce for you. If nobody knows I'm doing this and I have no access and I can't be hands-on, it's, it's not going to work, but for whatever reason, it had to be a big secret. And 
I mean, that was just a catastrophe, bro. So, so how, how does that work for you? In other words, what, 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 I mean, if you're a secret and you're writing storylines and you're writing our TV, how, how does that work? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, no, bro. How, how, it, how it worked was I was meeting with them secretly in Nashville. You know, I was meeting with Big and Conway. Uh, I think Legala was, was there at that point, I think. Um, but 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 no nobody knew it, bro. It had to be this big secret. And and, and that that's what I mean, bro. I can't freaking work that way. Like it, it it's such childish BS. Like I I can't work that way. And like as soon as I knew those were gonna be the parameters, I, I knew it was just I knew it was just a matter of time. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, there's another question I want to ask you. And, and this is one I, I just, it was sent to me today and it was weird. But anyway, um, this is from uh, Brad Whitaker. And he wants to know why is there so much heat between you and JC? So you know he's a mark because he uses JC. And why is it so bad? And what caused all of it? Yeah. First of all, it's it's not so bad because I don't have any heat whatsoever to Jim Cornette. This this is a one-sided feud. I I am a 61-year-old grandfather, bro. I don't have any heat whatsoever with Jim Cornette. I have offered many, 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 many times to have a conversation with him. Uh, do do a one on one, whatever you want to do uh, publicly. I've offered that Jim Cornette always turns it down. This is a one sided hatred. I don't have a ill will at all in my body about Jim Cornette to tell you where the heat comes from is real simple, bro. Number one, Jim Cornette does not like New Yorkers. Period. End of story. J Jim Cornette still has this this north south mentality where he does not like New Yorkers. So the fact that I am a New Yorker from Long Island with a very heavy accent, he never liked me. Number two, both Dixie Carter and Vince McMahon chose me over Jim Cornette. When, when it came down to Vince and Jim cannot work together, you know, Cornette, you know, hates Vince. They're, they're on totally different spectrums when it comes to creative. We have to pick one. Both Vince and both Dixie chose me. Now, now, now Jim Cornette cannot look in the mirror and ask himself, well, why, why did they choose Vince over me? Well, probably, Jim, because Vince is a lot easier to work with. And, and it's not, it's Vince's way or the highway. Uh, and Vince isn't set in his way. And Vince is willing to try new things. That's probably why. But he, he, he blames me for that you know, rather than trying to understand why it happened and how I need to maybe be a little bit more open 
and work with people better rather than it be my way or the highway. So that's it in a nutshell. I, I do right hand to God. I don't have a hateful bone in my body at all towards Jim Cornette. I, I, bro, I got over that years ago. And I, and I'll say this, Vince, um, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I get along with both of you very, very well. Um, Jim is not a bad, not a bad guy. No, he not. has a lot of, you know, views and things like that, that sometimes I don't agree with. And there's things that I do agree with. I mean, but, but, you know, he's a guy that's opinionated and that's what we do when we do things like we're doing tonight. It's, right. you know, we're going to, we're going to say our opinions. Right. Uh, but I would just say that I don't think me personally, me personally, I, I love you as a person. I've met you and known you and worked with you early in my life, in my career, and think that you've done marvelous work that's undeniable. And I think he's done the same. And I just think that, I, I think that's where your crossroads are, in my opinion, that it's one over the other, whether you are doing it or whether he's doing it, it doesn't matter. Right. I just think that it's just a matter of two guys that have done and built a legacy. And, and it was in the old school way where, there's friction, which is like you just said, it's political bullshit. Yep. And it is what it is. And I don't know how to answer this fan's question because you just did. But all I can say is I didn't even want to ask it, to be honest with you, because I love both of you. And I, yeah, I just, no, I'm, 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 bro, I'm fine talking to you. I would, have, bro, I would have a conversation with Jim Cornette tomorrow. If you asked him that same question, if you, if, if you presented that same thing to him and asked him that same question, he would go on a profanity-laced profanity tirade about me for 30 minutes. I, I mean, that's the difference. I would, I would have a conversation with the guy, man-to-man, one-on-one, face-to-face, tomorrow and have no problem with it. He, he, he wouldn't do that to, to the grave with me. And, and, and that's on Jim, bro. That that ain't on me. Yeah. By the way, he would piss on your grave. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So I got one more question. We're going to wrap it up, man. I don't want to tie you up, Bobby. And I know you're a busy dude. So because this is a refereeing show <laughs> of sorts, what interest in referees did you have or were something that you didn't worry about? Like, in other words, were referees any concern for you or because I mean, you work with the best back then anyway, in, in your attitude era, you know, you got Earl Habner, Jimmy Corderas, Mike Chioda, uh, you know, Jack, I, Doan. I, Jack Doan was great. Jack Doan. Yeah. I mean, you had, so I, I my question is, was, was it something that you kind of thought about? Like when you were putting some story plan together, bro, he, here's what I always thought about. And I still think about it to this day. Bro, they need to have authority. That that ring needs to be theirs. They need to be respected. That is that is such an important element in wrestling. It is so freaking important, bro. I I can remember, bro. But both both Hebner's five foot four, what whatever they whatever <laughs> they were, bro, sticking out those barrel chests and and getting getting in the face of a wrestler twice the size of them. 
That's what it needs to be, bro. They are the authority of the in that ring. They've got to demand respect. That's what it needs to be. And, bro, that is another thing that over the years we have lost that as well. Now, for the majority of the time, they look like bumbling, stumbling, blind, clueless idiots. And, 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 and that, that is a huge part of the freaking problem, bro. Because I swear to God, as a casual fan, I'm sitting here every week. I'm watching, I'm watching how stupid they're making the refs look. Brian, I went off on this just a couple of weeks on my show. Bro, do they not understand in every freaking sport, bro, basketball, hockey, football, baseball, soccer, you name it, at, 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 in every sport, after every game, if there's a missed call, if there's a questionable call, bro, they are hearing from the commissioner and they are looking at tape. They are looking at tape. And people are going to get fined. People are going to be suspended. People are going to be fired. That's how it really works with referees. And I sit here and I watch Raw every week and I'm like, why isn't that person fired? How, how, how does this person, when, when, you're, when your focus is supposed to be on the match, and these two individuals and these two individuals, and all of a sudden you're distracted by somebody coming down the ramp. How do you have a job next week? I, I ask that question every single week. How do these refs have a job next week? If this were legitimate, they would be gone. But you know, again, Brian, it's laziness. It's laziness, it's easy way out, it's it's no attention to detail, and the the referees are the ones always taking it on the chin. And and that that is part of what is kill the wrestling business as we know it. Well, here, here's what kills me. Here's what kills me. I mean, we we our AEW has Arn Anderson backstage. They have Dean Malenko. They have uh, Dustin. They have many people. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know who I'm missing or whatever it is. And these are guys that are game of the sport. And, you know, I, I talked about this on, on previous episodes. How in the hell can these guys not see what's not going on? Brian, I mean, Chris Jericho. Brian, I'm going to like, tell you. I'm going to tell you. I, I, I'm going to answer that question for you. Brian, I swear to God, you can go. I left TNA in 2012. You can go back at least five years before that. Bro, around 2005-ish, 2007-ish, Brian, I started seeing a lot of these young guys coming into the business who thought they knew more than I did. 
And every time, you know, and bro, keep in mind, I came from a business in the WWE that was built off of respect. I respected the talent. The talent respected me. We worked hand in hand. We were men, bro. We were men. We respected each other. All of a sudden, bro, these kids would come in who knew more than I did. And I would try to explain to them, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And it would always lead to them knowing more than me. So I got to the point of, I am not going to sit here and argue with a 27, I mean, a 20 something year old punk who has done nothing in the business. So I got to the point of, bro, Go out there, do whatever the F you want to do. You know why, bro? Because you're never going to get over. So go out, do whatever you want to do. You're never, I'm not going to argue with children. Bro, that has happened to the Arn Andersons and to the Dustin Rhodes and to the JRs and to the Dean Malenkos. I'm telling you, bro, I was in that spot. And it's almost like being a parent where it's like, you don't know what the F you're talking about. Go out there and do it, bro, because you're going to look like an idiot and you're going to fall flat on your face. And, and I really believe that's what has happened to a lot of these guys. And that's why you got the product you got today. So I'm going to say this um, with all the controversial shit you have and all the things that people want to say negative or positive or whatever it may be. I want to say that I think that you're an amazing person. And I want to say that I really, really, really am so glad that we had to like get together to do it like this because um, you, you've been a very integral part of me and my dad's life and you have been an amazing writer and I don't care what people say. I, 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 you're not integral. You're not dramatic to me. You're not controversial to me. You're Vince Russo. You've always been straight up with me. You've always been honest with me and I just can't thank you enough for being, you know, on my show and I, I could talk to you. We could do part two tomorrow. I don't care. I, I'm just saying, but this has been awesome to me. And yeah, well, you, you know, Brian, he, here's the thing, bro, like that. I'll always say, and I know I can say this about you. I know I could say this, you know, about your dad. I know I could say this about your uncle without even batting an eye, bro. You can say whatever you want to say about me. I don't care. Here's the bottom line. And, and this goes for the Hebners as well. Here's the bottom line, bro. Nobody ever outworked me. Nobody ever worked harder than me in what I did. Nobody ever put the blood, the sweat, and the tears into every show like I did. Nobody, nobody took the pride in what they did like I did, period, end of story. Whether you like me, don't like me, I, I could give two shits. I know, and Brian, I think you know, and I think your dad knows that every single show, we went out there, bro, and we were the absolute best 
we could be. No shortcuts, no laziness, no phoning it in, not wanting to, you know, no, not wanting to put in the time or the hours. Nobody was going to outwork us. And, and I think that's the problem today. I think you got a lot of people coasting. I think you got a lot of people, you know, collecting a paycheck. Um, I, I don't think there is any accountability. And I think that is the problem. So I, I think our era, we can be very, 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 very proud for everything we accomplished, bro, because there were no freaking shortcuts, man. And I totally agree with you because I can tell you right now, I never took a shortcut either. Never. Yep. yep. I, I, I advanced my way up as a young kid and worked my way up and worked my way up. And, you know, I, I was in meetings with in WWE. I was in meetings in TNA. I was in meetings in NWA. I was in meetings anywhere. And you're not going to be putting me if they don't want you in there. Right. Exactly. And, yep. you know, and it's not me putting myself over like you said. It's just that those days are gone. You're exactly right. It, yep. it, those days are gone. People don't want to work their fucking ass off. They want to yep. sit at home and fucking collect checks. Yep. And guess what? That ain't never been me. And uh, like you, I, I'm just like you. Yeah. I don't want the bullshit no more. Uh, you know, I really you know, don't. Bro, it's it's like I, I, I see this all the time. Like one of the telling tales, just so people know what I'm talking about, bro. When, when, when we had a TNA or when we, when I had a, when we had, you know, WWE, WCW, it doesn't matter, bro. The day of TV, I am outside of the arena shooting vignettes with the talent the night before TV, the morning of TV, and the night the night of TV. When the show was over, we would go on location and shoot different vignettes. Bro, they never leave the building now. They, ne they never leave the building. Why? Too much work, bro. It's yep. too much work. We're going we're gonna to shoot every vignette in the same exact spot on every single show. We're, we're not going to do something in the morning. We're not going to go on location and shoot something after work. Way too much work. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. You're exactly right. So what I want to do is this. Um, do you, do you, do you want to plug anything, man? You want to, yeah, you... no, I do, bro. I, I, I do podcasts now, bro. I do it for a living. I, I, I do it with a lot of great people, bro. Um, and it's great to hear, you know, Al Snow, Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat, Stevie Riches, the Disco Inferno. I do a show with EC3. That's great. Um, just incredible. Goldilocks, bro, from the, from the old TNA. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and we're yeah. All, yeah, we're all friends, bro. We all have a different point of view. We're all very honest. And uh, you can try us out, bro. Just go to russosbrand.com. It's very, very inexpensive, and uh, you get all of this and more. Awesome, dude. RJ? I I'm good. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, my guys, this was great. And like I said, man, anytime, man, just just buzz me. Let me know. I'm, I'm here, bro. This is what I do, man. Awesome. Thank well, you. We really appreciate it, Vince. And I, I, I really seriously am. I mean, I'm being as kind as I can. I, I don't know how to explain it with words, but I really am so glad you came on. And I'm so glad that we get to catch up. And yeah, uh, me too, man. 
You're an awesome touch, dude. Keep, keep in touch with me, bro. You know how to get a hold of me now. I know, but you you can't fake the cell number. That's the one you wish found on before. Uh, we, uh, you you want me to give it to you now or DM it to you? No, don't do it now on air. Oh, we're still on here. Okay. I, I, will, <laughs> I, 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 I thought we were off. I will DM it to you, my friend. All right. Yeah. And give hey, your dad you my so love too, bro. Give your dad my love, please, man. I will too, man. I will do that. Thank you All so right. much, buddy. Ooh. Brian, I, I, I think it got a little hot uh, on this episode, but I like it. Vince Russo is awesome. I, I, I really think he's truthful and I, I respect him as a friend and a person. And guess what? Hey, dude, you got to hear it. This was yeah. awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay. This is, man, I can't, I, I just want to go work out right now and listen to it. All right, but it'll take a couple, two, three. Um, no, anyways, a couple other guys that have been awesome. Uh, JD Hoop, absolutely phenomenal graphics. He's doing a lot of great work uh, for us and for a lot, a lot, a lot of shows. Follow him on the Twitter and Instagram at JD Hoop 702. Uh, uh, AJ McKay, man, he's he's all he's everywhere, man. He just celebrated a birthday, so happy belated. Happy birthday, AJ. But yeah, no, just doing great work. He's all over now. He's doing a lot more announcing with uh, I believe OVW. So um always good to see that. Uh and then I think that's I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's what I got. You got it. We're ready to close up. There you go. All right, you go. Oh yeah, the socials. There you go. You follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Reffing It Up. Brian, you're at Baby Hefner, so right, you haven't changed it, right? Nope, I ain't changed anything. At Baby Hefner on Twitter and on Instagram. Make it easy. It's easier on you too, so it'd be easy for you to remember. Yeah, because I I have a memory like uh like uh I don't know what. Yeah, bad. But, That's for sure. but guys, appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. Uh, subscribe, share, what have you. Appreciate you guys. And uh, shout out to our PW Mania guys as well. Um, and we'll see you right back here next week as we talk about Booker T himself. So we'll see you right back here on Reffing It Up next week. One, two, three.